Now, I'm good to go here. I just want to talk to you about, um, about needs. It's interesting to see that God, when he created us, he created us with needs, uh, needs, uh, you know, physical needs, for instance. Um, if we didn't have air, we couldn't exist. If we didn't have water, we couldn't exist. If there were no food, if there were no shelter, um, we need several things to be able to be viable physically. And, uh, and then there are emotional needs because you could have all those needs met and feel like the most empty person going, uh, that, that your life is, is just in, in, in terrible shape. We have emotional needs. We have soul needs. We need to be loved. Uh, we need a sense of security and significance. We need a sense of, of peace and well-being. And we have social needs. We were created uh, to have needs for connecting meaningfully with other people, uh, to have healthy relationships. And of course, there are spiritual needs. Uh, we've been created with God, by God with, with an empty part in us that, that is crying out to be filled by the, the only thing that will fill that is God in us. Uh, a relationship with him and, and these deep longings that we have. And so often we may be looking here, there and everywhere uh, to, to realizing there's something wrong inside and yet not being able to fill that vacuum until we meet God who can provide for that. Well, God created us with needs. He not only created us with needs, he created us so that he could and wants to be the one to meet our needs. And, and so his desire is for us to, to go to him, to look to him for our needs, for our bodies and our souls and our relationships and, and those things that we yearn for and, and spiritually. When God brought Israelites out of Egypt, when he freed them from bondage, uh, we read this in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8. He said this, uh, that, uh, that he, that is God, humbled you, Moses said, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Here's what he did. He brought them out of Egypt. They were in a place where, uh, until things turned south on them, that they were, they were working fine in that whole process. And then when God brought them out, uh, you know, we, a few years ago, a couple years ago, we went and did the, the wilderness trek. You go in the wilderness, it's like there's nothing there. There's no vegetation. Uh, if, you, if you can find uh, some source of water somewhere, that is so precious. And here is God, God brings his people out and he, and he made it a little tough for them. There's nothing to eat here. There's no water here. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to starve. We're going to die of dehydration. And it said this, he caused you to hunger and then he fed you feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So God created us with these needs. And then he said, I want you to come to me when you have these needs. And, and sadly, the, the people of Israel often were grumbling. You know, we don't, we don't have what we ate in Egypt. And, this, and God provided for their needs. And with us, God often tests us to go through sometimes struggles and difficulties and, and to look for where 
those, where we look for those needs to be met. Um, God wants to be the one that we turn to. God wants to be the one that we seek out. He created us. He knows our needs before we ever breathe a word. And uh, he wants to be the one to meet that. And, and so often what we try to do is we try to meet our needs uh, outside of God with God not in the picture of that. Uh, we think about, uh, you know, our job or our abilities or our personality or our friends or taking care of our health or working hard and being disciplined and we do everything we can and there's nothing wrong. All of those things are good. But when we seek things outside of God, when, when we when we put ourselves in a place that we want to meet our needs without any concern for God, that's not a good place to be. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus helped us understand what it meant to, to pray to have our needs met. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Help us in all of these areas. Help, don't lead us into temptation. These are our needs, and we would take that to God in prayer and, and, and look to him for all of that. And, and uh, we have good things, but they can become God's substitutes where we don't look to God at all. And, and you know, it makes you think, why do people seek out God? Well, it's interesting um, how that works, why people are uh, attracted to Jesus. Thank you. Um, uh, Jesus met the needs of people. It, when, you, when you read through the Gospels and, and you hear what Jesus done, his teaching was mesmerizing. People were spelled down. He, he could speak for hours and they would sit and listen to him. Um, there was nothing like that. He spoke with authority, not like other religious leaders. He healed the sick when the doctors couldn't do it, when medicine didn't work, when treatments had no effect. Uh, Jesus healed the sick and the diseased. He, he gave sight to the blind. Uh, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the demonized were, were freed. Um, even the dead were raised. And so there was never a lack of crowd following Jesus to find out, uh, to have their needs met. They sought him out because they had needs and they wanted those met. And Jesus wanted us to understand uh, in those pressing needs that we have that only he could meet it. And, uh, and, and so he wanted to reveal himself to the people. And he revealed himself in one way through a series of statements in the Gospel of John seven statements that identified him and and he said i am and and then he, for those i ams he had a whole section of of i ams and we're going to be tracking with these through till easter uh he says this i am the bread of life he said i'm the light of the world i am the gate or the door I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. He wants, as, as, he, as we will go through these, we're going to see this revelation of Jesus. He wants us to know something about who he is and how we relate to him and, and, and how, how he is the one who meets our needs. And so we have these seven statements 
that we're going to be looking at. And, and when you think John wrote his gospel, so there, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are four books of the of uh, that the, the new testament begins four different accounts of stories of jesus in his life um, and in those is Ma- are matthew mark luke and john and john is different he was after all the other guys came he was probably near the end of the first century so this is 50 60 years since he, john walked with jesus and he's penning now his uh uh, his gospel, his story about Jesus. And John tells us something about why he does that. It said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so he, when you think of the whole gospel of John, you think of, of, of a book that, that God inspired by the Holy Spirit for John to write. And, and the purpose that John has in writing this is this, that we would know who Jesus is. We would know that he is the Messiah. We would know that he's the Son of God. And in knowing who he is and what he's done, we would put our faith and trust in him. Have you put your faith and trust in in Jesus, uh, you know, you a good place to start if you want to read the Bible is the Gospel of John because John wants to help us to recognize and realize that. So as we come into uh, this morning's uh, sta- I am statement, I am the bread of life. We realize that uh, Jesus, uh, as we heard in the scripture reading, uh, fed a group of some 5,000 people. Uh, and here we have Jesus. He's trying to get away. He's, he's always hounded by people who have needs, who want him to do things for them. And now, now and again, he had to get away and just, and just be with his disciples and have a time to rest or to build into them. And, and this is what he does. And he goes across the top of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee and, and he goes from, uh, from west uh, to the northeast area, and, and what he finds, he's going to get together with his disciples, and then they see the hordes of people coming. Uh, they would watch where Jesus was going, and they would, they would go after him, and, and they wanted uh, to hear him. They wanted to be touched by him. They wanted to be healed by him and everything else that he could do with them. And so here he is, and uh, here comes the crowd. And instead of Jesus going, oh man, these guys, well, they, he, he welcomed them. And he taught them, and, and, and uh, he spent a whole day teaching them. Now they've come a good distance away. And here he is uh, sharing with them, and he has compassion upon them. He knows that they have needs. He, he says in one of the other Gospels, I, I don't want to send them away hungry like that. They're, they'll be faint. They'll have trouble making it back home. And, and so Jesus says, what do we have? And he takes five little barley loaves and a couple of sardines. Uh, they, they got some kids' lunch, and uh, Jesus asked them to have them sit down in this beautiful grassy area and then he begins to pray to give thanks and to distribute these uh, this little bit of food until everybody has eaten and they're totally full and wonder of wonders there happened to just be 12 basketfuls left and Jesus had 
12 disciples that traveled with him uh, regularly. And, and it was like Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to take note of this. We're ministering to people who have needs and we need to, we need to meet those needs as we can. Uh, and, and, and so uh, Jesus, had, this was a sign pointing to them that it, through Jesus, we would be able uh, to touch people's lives. And uh, so after this, Jesus said, all right, now what I want you to do is you go get in a boat and go over to Capernaum, go uh, across the top of the lake. And, uh, and then he went and made himself scarce. And in the night, Jesus is going to go and meet them. And here we've got these seasoned sailors and they run into some problems. Uh, they run into really rough water and they're fighting this thing and, and they, they're afraid they're not going to make it. And Jesus comes walking on water to them. And seeing him walking on water in the sea absolutely freaked them out. And, and here they are, uh, terrified. And, and Jesus calls out and he said, It is I. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And he got in the boat. And the instant he got in the boat... They were at their destination. And to me, I, I don't. I think that was a miracle. Um, I don't think they were just that close. I think it was a miracle. And and we look at the disciples, and we might chide them and, and be a little judgmental because um, we would have been paralyzed by fear if we were in that situation. And if you saw Jesus walking, you might have been freaked out too. And Mark tells us in his gospel about this, that they didn't understand the loaves and the fishes. The disciples didn't get the message. They, they, didn't, they didn't learn the lesson that Jesus wanted them to learn, that if you're with me, you'll be safe. If you're with me, uh, you can, your needs will be provided for. And so, uh, meanwhile, everyone is looking for Jesus. And the people who have... have uh, uh, been over there, are, they're frantic to find Jesus again. And uh, we have a group that is, uh, f- have full tummies, but empty hearts. They've been fed, they've been fed plentifully, but their hearts are empty. They saw this incredible sign of what Jesus did to provide for all of this for these people. And, and they come to a conclusion. This guy is the prophet uh, that Deuteronomy was talking about. This is, the, this is the messianic figure that's coming. He said, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, uh, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They said, this is our kind of guy. This is our kind of leader. What we're going to do is let's by force, we're going to make Jesus our king. And, and you can think if they make Jesus the king, that they'll have somebody who can overturn the, uh, the Roman occupation. They've got somebody who's going to really impact them in, in a very positive way. Now, when you go back to New Testament times, and this is so different from us in an agrarian kind of uh, society, um, they, they come back here and, and about 85% of their wages were invested 
in food. I mean, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. You didn't go to the freezer. You didn't go to the refrigerator. Um, Things had a short shelf life. And 85% of their income was invested in in basic needs for, for living in terms of food. Unlike us, where it's mortgages and cars and things that we, we money for, for food wouldn't, wouldn't compete with this. And they began to think and calculate, man, this guy can do this. If he can feed us, can you imagine 85% of our income can be disposable income? Can you imagine what we could do with 85% of our income that we're, we're using to keep us alive? Now, Jesus can feed us for nothing, and, and it, this is going to change things immeasurably for us. Uh, the, the standard of living is going to skyrocket if Jesus is our king, uh, we, they would uh, understand that, that this could be catastrophic in a positive way for their whole, for their country. It could change the economy. It could change the standard of living. And, and you can imagine the prosperity. And this is what they're thinking. Their interest in Jesus was merely this, someone who could give them a better life. And he could do that. He could deal with the Romans. He could free them. Uh, he could boost the economy. Uh, and their interests, though, were mainly, they were just self-serving. And it wasn't unique to this passage, even all the way back in chapter 2 uh, of uh, 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 John's Gospel, chapter 2. Uh, Jesus said, you're, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the, the loaves and had your fill. You're interested in me because what I can give you. Uh, and and uh, in chapter 2, it said, Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing. That's all the miraculous things he was doing. And they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He knew, that, he knew why they wanted him. It was totally self-serving. It was totally, this is something just uh, that, that we're not enamored with Jesus as, in, in terms of who he is. We like what he can do for us. And Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't have any part of that. And as long as Jesus did for them, they would follow him. But the second he would stop that, they'd be out of here. They wanted a genie in the bottle. They wanted somebody who could make their wishes come true. Uh, and uh, they didn't want a Lord that they could submit to. They didn't want someone that they could savor. They wanted someone that they could just use as a means to prosperity. I want to tell you that there, there are some uh, expressions of Christianity that are, are very much like this. Uh, there are groups that are promoting uh, like a health, wealth, a prosperity gospel. And if you come to Jesus, your financial situation will change and, and you'll have no sicknesses and this and that and the other. And, and, and you can use, they, they have the same kind of view of Jesus as this, a prosperity gospel kind of expression. 
And, uh, and Jesus wants to know, wants them to know, uh, he's not interested in being that person. They don't understand who he is. They don't understand who the Messiah is. They don't understand that he's the son of God and God the son. And, and he, it, he's God among them and with them. They just want what they can get from him. And so Jesus tells them, you know, there are two kinds of bread and you need to go after the right kind of bread. Um, there's a temporal, a temporary, and there's an eternal kind of bread. And you need to make the right choice. One will spoil, the other one will last. And so he says this in John six twenty seven: Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Um, particularly in summertime, if we have uh, some bread in the cupboard and we're not quick to eat it, uh, in, uh, you, you go and take it out and you think, I think I'd like a sandwich or a piece of toast. And it's got this green stuff all over it. And uh, not appetizing. And, and, and Jesus said, you guys are looking for bread that doesn't last. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them manna. But he said, manna has a shelf life. I'm I'm trying to teach you to trust me. So what I'm going to do is every night when you wake up in the morning, you'll see like dew on the grass. Here will be the manna. Collect it and eat it. And so, uh, and he said, you'll have enough for each day. Just trust me. Trust me. And, And so some people got greedy and thought, I'm going to get more. And when they went to the manna the second day, it was all full of worms and maggots. It was no good. And God said, I told you. And then when it came um, Friday over Saturday, the Sabbath, he said, now on Friday, I want you to collect twice as much because there's not going to be any on the Sabbath. So again, they had to, they had to trust God. They had to trust that, that God would provide for their needs. So some of them thought, well, it comes every other day. We, you know, we'll just collect some on, on the Sabbath. And what happened was there was nothing on the Sabbath, and they, uh, they were left out. And, and he says there's this, there's this bread that won't last, but there's bread that is eternal, and we need to make the right decision in terms of that. Food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Okay, to get this bread, to to have this eternal life, what do we we need to do? What are the works that we need to accomplish to to have that happen for us? And uh, which is a good question. Because virtually every religious system is based on what god or the gods or the deities want from us and so we do what they want us to do and then in return they show favor to us they bless us they protect us and that kind of thing and so uh here here he is and and he says what is what is god they're saying to, to jesus what does god require what are the works that he wants us to do i'm sure we can do it just let us know what it is and look what jesus said Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is not to work at all, because you can't work to get it. All you can do is trust 
The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. I got to tell you, even though all of, the, all of the world religions, in some sense, curry favor with the deity by doing what they believe the, the deity wants, this kind, of, this kind of thinking can kind of creep into a church like ours, too, where, yeah, I know, uh, I know about this grace thing that God gives us what we don't deserve, but, but, but after all, um, I mean, there's got to be something we should do, to, and I want God to be on good side with me, so if I, I'm going to do something to see if I can't control God or, or uh, I can't get on better on the right side of God, and nothing of that works. The work that God requires for us is faith. It's to believe in him. It's to put our trust in him. And, uh, and, and that's what he's looking for. Uh, that's what God requires of us. Not what we're going to do for him, but that we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And there's, uh, there's this great misunderstanding that, that a lot of people, perhaps you, feel I need to do something to to get on the good side of God. So maybe it's I'll give or I'll, co- I'll come out or I'll serve or whatever. I'll do something and God will like me more or, or or show favor to me more. But that's not the way. That's a corruption of God's way. God requires work. And the work God requires is just believing, putting our faith and trust in him. And, and it's not what you do for God that provides eternal life. It's what God does for you. So they say, um, they ask, uh, Jesus, uh, here's what Jesus wants us to understand. Jesus doesn't just give bread. Jesus is bread. He is the bread. He doesn't just provide the bread. He is the bread. Here's what it says in uh, verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, always give us this bread. We want this bread that you're talking about. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe you guys don't get it. You think you can manipulate me. You can control me. You can, uh, you can harness my power. You can do all of that. You're looking, you're looking for bread. I am the bread. And, uh, and, and you don't get that at all. Um, that bread that comes from God. He said, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, if you believe in me, if you put your trust in me, you'll have faith for that. You'll never go hungry. You'll never uh, go uh, lack for thirst. You will find satisfaction for your soul. You'll find eternal life. I know it's in life it can be so difficult. And I know, Yvonne, uh, your, your dad passed away two days ago. And uh, you had a great visit with him before. And, and we come to this 
this time and, and, and dad passes away and, and we're so sad. And yet in our faith, we're buoyed up with the strength of knowing that he knew Jesus Christ. He'd put his faith in Jesus Christ and, and that which his need is for eternal, uh, for his eternal well-being is taken care of. And they didn't get that. It's in Jesus. It, it, Jesus is the one. And, and here is this, uh, the, this, uh, these signs that, that he shows them so they'd understand who he is and that they would follow him. Now, you know, I tell you, when you see the, the people and you see their response, thousands of thousands of people, and they're in it just for what they can get out of Jesus. That's, that's their sole interest. And, and it, it's sad. And, and the question is, how, will Jesus' mission fail? Because it, like it looks like a big fail. It looks like things are not going well. People are jumping off the Jesus bandwagon. In fact, Jesus starts talking a little later uh, about my body is, is, is flesh and my blood is a drink. And, and uh, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, and they're, they're freaked out by that, which, which we may too. But he's speaking metaphorically. If you're not putting your trust in me, if that's what that that's what it means to feast on him is to put your trust in him to believe in him um to to uh to have him do his work in your life without that there's nothing and and, and so here are the people jumping off the bandwagon here are people uh pointing to jesus and and, and at his disciples jesus says they they started flocking away from jesus and Jesus said to the disciples, hey, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else would we go? Who else has the words of life? But I tell you what, it, it looks pretty dire for uh, our, our, what we're going through. Uh, how, how, we don't see people flocking to him. How is Jesus' mission going to go on like that? Uh, and Jesus shares with us some hope for his mission. Listen to what he says. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he's given me, but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. He says, you know, I know it looks pretty dire and, and not very optimistic with the way people are vacating us. But he said this. He said, God is in this. And, and when God is in it, God can make things happen. And, and so here they are, and they're finding out that, that if they would come to Jesus, that, that God would be the one that would work in that, and, and he would give them to Jesus, and Jesus, uh, Jesus would never, never turn them away. See, we, we sometimes fail to see the process of the whole Trinity is involved in the work of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and so he said he'll never tune them. And Jesus said, I won't lose any. 
The, the Father gives them to me. I'm not going to turn them away, and, and, and I won't lose it. They'll be safe and secure, and I'll raise them up in the last day, and they'll have eternal life. And the Father will look to the, uh, look to the Son. Uh, the, the Father's will is that they would look to His Son, and, and they will have eternal life. And He would resurrect them to eternal life. God is working. And then he has this beautiful statement in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up the last day. Nobody comes to God unless God is working in their life. And then we look at people and say, they'll never come to faith in Christ. They'll never, they'll never believe. They'll never, they're so adamantly opposed. And then I look at a guy like the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, murdering Christians on, on, on a tear to destroy the name of Christ and all Christ followers. And he says this, though, I'm working, and I'll do something, and I'll bring God's people to myself. I'll bring them to my son, and my son will welcome them, and, and he will protect them. He'll lose none of them. And listen to what Jesus says here. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up the last day. The Father will give them to me, and the Father is going to draw them. How does he draw them? By the Spirit. By the Spirit, he draws them to himself, and, and, and he does a miracle in the life of people who, who don't know and don't get it. And God turns the light on for them, and, and, and they see, and they know, and they'll follow him. And, and, uh, and I want you to think of this as, a, as the wooing of God, the loving wooing. And, and you may find in yourself that there's something inside you just seems to be drawing you to God. God does that. And, and when we are concerned that the mission may fail, because where are these people who, who are, are, are really who open to God and, and want something more than a free meal ticket? Um, those Jesus, uh, God will draw. He'll woo them. He, he, he'll, he'll attract them to come and put their faith in Jesus. What a great thing. So that when you believe in Jesus, he is the bread. And when you feast on him by believing in him and following him and looking to him, these are all the words that are used for him there. He will nourish you. He is the bread of life. And uh, beautifully, the, the Holy Spirit had this time that this bread of life happened on a communion Sunday. And we will share the bread that is representative of the, the the body of Jesus Christ that was given for us. And uh, perhaps this is kind of new to you, and you're, you're not sure what to make of it, or you've been sitting and listening for a while. I want to tell you, I got a, this week I got a phone call from, uh, from a woman. Uh, her name was Juan Lin, and uh, she had come... Uh, to our church. How she came to our church was by virtue of three senior women, all who lived in, on, in a uh, apartment complex, and they would go down and uh, they would do, uh, they would take uh, their laundry. And this uh, 
a Chinese student, a doctoral student, uh, would go down and met with him there. And these dearly, this, this, this wonderful lady said, would you like to go to church with us? And she said, well, okay. And so they took her to church. And I remember meeting them. They, they brought her over for me to meet. And I, I was so happy to see her. And, and she just kept coming to church with them week after week after week after week. And I would try and engage her sometime and just, you know, like, where are you at? I mean, you've been sitting here listening, d- drinking in all this. What, what, what are you thinking? And um, um, all of a sudden, after probably a year and a half, she said to me, um, I'd like to be baptized. I'd do a double take because she's been so guarded in this pursuit and thinking through and, and didn't say much. And she called me this past week and said, I need a pastoral reference. Uh, I'm going to be teaching, potentially, I'm looking at a teaching position at a Christian university. And and she said, I I just remember how God brought me to faith. And I I thought, how incredible is that? That that God would do that. And... uh, I had the privilege of baptizing her and see her grow in her faith. And, and uh, you, you, may be, you may be kind of new to all of this, and, and, and you may feel like a tug in your heart that, that God the Father has been drawing you to himself, and you don't know what to make of it. You just feel like you're warmed to the idea, and, and you're going like, I think this could be true. I think this is right, and God is working to bring you to Jesus, that in Jesus you would find the bread of life as, as he would be that life-giving uh, one in your life. I'm going to invite the, the, the servers to come and prepare for communion now, if they would, and, and the music people can come also.